We are the Coin Boys, your average everyday crypto bros. That's right, it's Andy, aka producer, by the way, or producer BTW on Twitter. Sitting right across from me is Daniel Gutierrez. What's up, everybody? Hey, man, what's going on? It's been a minute, right? It's been a little while. We've All been right. working a lot, going on to a lot of different events, and in, in, interviewing a lot of different people. Yeah, you saw I threw or vomited tons of Crypto Invest Summit uh, content for you guys. And of course, I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, one of the first times you've probably seen us on a video longer than yeah. two minutes, maybe. You saw my roundness, and I was proud. Yeah, uh, great job by Kai Primo for coming in there and shooting that for us. It looked very like docu-series, and I really I enjoyed She's it. She's so good. You are good. Fun. We love you. Rock on. Um, but um, And for those of you who didn't see anything, thecoinboys.com has that video up uh, on our on one of our featured blogs and posts. So just go ahead and head on, head on over to the video there and check it out. It's yeah. pretty cool. You get to see the handsome crypto sanity. Yes. Up on there. And then you also, um, and there's also everything else that you could need to hear all of a, a lot of our back uh, episodes if you're new to the podcast. Yeah. And thanks, uh, old listeners, new listeners. Uh just wanted to quickly mention something before we get into the show. Uh, we have some changes again. I know you've noticed that over the course of a year and a half, we've done tests. Yes. We're, and we're, we're figuring things out. We're right? trying to figure out what's best for you guys. So Daniel has always had the idea, let's combine what essentially is two shows, which is Block News, our commentary on news and everyday technology, crypto gaming. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, our in-depth interviews, which, of course, a lot of people tend to enjoy, where we really interview people about projects or just people in the space um and we're going to combine them like we did back in the day yes we used to do this with our original coin of the show when we used to do that but that was us interview interviewing each other basically and kind of doing our own research but now that we have the people yes. that are willing to come on our show and actually talk about their project and, and get things correct versus us kind of winging it uh, we kind of put that to the wayside because we got some pretty good in-depth interviews and it was it was pretty long but the truth is if you're in this space, you need to know both the in-depth part of every project that you possibly could be investing in or, or every project so that way you can see what technology and what code you're kind of looking for in the future. But you also need to know what's happening now because that protects yourself and makes you more aware. The more aware you are, the better you are as an investor. So our gift to you on Tuesdays is literally a news portion commentary show which deals with our normal banter and um, fun laughs cries mm -hmm. uh, and then of course we throw to whether it's a, a project where we're talking to or a person that's that's important in the space it's available to you all in one episode and it could take you all week to enjoy it which would be great stop and start it's a podcast that's what it's all about if it takes um, you all week to enjoy it, let us know because we're we need to edit. There's, <laughs> no, no, no. there's actually a gaming podcast. Shout out to the Giant Bombcast. Their episodes are like two hours long, and I'm always like, their intro is probably an hour of wow. just them catching up. And I'm like, how do you guys get away with this? So I end up like over the course of a week finishing their podcast. So it's not un unheard of, but we won't be longer than an L hour. Let us know if you want yeah. more us. <laughs> Anyway, I think that's what everybody needs. Two really awesome announcements for this episode. It makes sense that our Block News guest is our friend and our first, literally, I think he was the first guest, technically. Yeah, on the show. Guest host is BitBoy, and he always uh, attributes that I started calling him BitBoy, apparently. Yes. But he is an old friend of the show. He's coming on soon, and then followed by a really cool surprise for everybody. And I think it was a really, really cool in-depth interview, Daniel. Yes. It was with Christopher Kanuchari. Yeah, so he he's big on saying that people always mess up his name, so I hope we got it right. Yes. So Christopher is not only the director but he is the producer and shooter of Banking on Bitcoin, which is the documentary that was released on Netflix. And a lot of people in crypto happen to know about it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a very good documentary and made at a time that was different. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, it definitely is. Uh, it's available on Netflix still, is it? I'm not too sure. Yeah, it's still available on Netflix. You uh, double checked? Uh, yes, I double okay, checked. Cool. Are you triple checked? <laughs> now I'm messing around. Uh, but no, if you haven't seen it, it's available out there. Go check it out because it's it was done at a time when there was less FUD. It wasn't as fuddy as it is today. It wasn't as confusing as it is, it, as it is today because, believe it or not, Bitcoin, I felt like the space used to be a lot simpler but at this time. And, and he wasn't trying to sell anything. He wasn't trying to do anything. He, he made the documentary, you'll hear, uh, for almost the same reasons that we, we made this podcast. And so um, 
go do yourself a favor check out the documentary and then either listen to this podcast or watch it after i don't care but still pretty good yeah and also he's currently working on a series called the search for satoshi um it's very i think early in you know shooting it and developing it but interesting stuff there uh also keep in mind daniel and i come from entertainment so it's very entertainment centric which Mm -hmm. is cool um but let's start at the very top with block news all right another week another block news and of course we have our guest, our first guest host ever, BitBoy with uh, BitBoy Crypto and, of course, Beards and Bitcoin Podcast. What's up, man? Not much, guys. It's been a, been a while since I've been on the show. Um, you know, definitely reflecting back on those days where I was guest hosting originally, that was kind of when I was getting everything started with my channel. And, uh, you know, you guys helped me promote that. And, you know, we, we've become really, really good friends since then. So, you know, it's definitely good to be back on the show and, you guys are doing big things, and I'm just excited to be part of it. Yeah, we're excited too. I have to mention that we have a new podcast as well called The Immaculate Perceptions. Uh, <laughs> so I'm shouting us out, and I'm going to say check Thursday. We're doing a live draft. Uh, is that right, BitBoy? Yeah, li- live stream of the NFL draft. So we'll be talking about all the picks, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to make it through all 32. It's, it's going to be an interesting night. So I don't. First off, I don't know how you're going to do it. But we're going to do but it. Ma- mainly, secondly... Um, do you guys even follow college football? I feel uh, like you might. I don't. Kind of. No, no. Personally, I'm not a big college football guy. I think Ben oh, is. I'm, for sure. I'm, I'm in are SEC you? country over He's here. He's huge. So, yeah, college oh, football okay. here in Georgia is life. It, it's much more important than pro football uh, to the average person. I, I like pro football better, but definitely really, really big into college too. Because that's the only way I could follow a draft. Like you draft whoever. I'm like, okay, was that a good pick? I just like start looking around. I can't wait because not to know, know what I'm talking get about. To the NFL, but I'm big on the NFL. I, I know, uh, essentially, I know a lot of the top college players. I pay attention to that, but I don't, like, sit down on Saturdays and watch full games. I may start doing that next this uh, this upcoming season. All right. Well, 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 yeah, well, being from New Jersey, you don't really have a team, right? Yeah, that's the thing. I grew up, you know, you're absolutely right. That's actually... All together. It's actually a good topic. <laughs> Growing up in the Northeast, there's not a huge college football thing. High school mm-hmm. football, though, huge, huge. Um, but college, there was Rutgers and like you got to go to Boston for like Boston College, you know, and, and stuff like that. It's not that great in the Northeast. I'm not I hope. It, I mean, you got Penn State. Maybe that kind of sneaks that, in. That, that's what I was thinking. That's There's, about that's about it. Yeah. Really, so my growing up high school football was huge, bigger than college for me. And there's a lot of good uh, talent out of New Jersey as well. But of course, yeah, I, they all leave. You were pretty talented, right? I was, I was, and then yeah, I, yeah, I played. Uh, I was a slot receiver, but a starting CB. Uh, nice. Yeah. Starting. So anyway, we're going. Starting. I would draft you. You would draft me, right? I mean, I was pretty good. <laughs> I was like a Wayne Corbett, you know. I was like Wayne Corbett. Anyway, let's get in out of sports, which was cool because we never talk about sports on this podcast. Very rarely. But uh, BitBoy, of course, uh, you always come to the table with something cool, and I asked you to bring a topic, so we're going to start with you, man. What do you got? Yeah, I think one of the most underrated stories going on over the last couple weeks has been uh, YouTuber PewDiePie. 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 Yeah, I first heard of him on a South Park episode, which you know is pretty <laughs> funny. I'm sure we all remember that. We all remember that episode several years ago. But, you know, YouTube had never seen someone kind of come on the scene and just get just blow up absolutely huge. There, There's a video there. There's a channel that w- what it does is it shows stats on like the top 10 YouTubers and how it changes over time. And when PewDiePie popped up, he went straight from number 10 to number one in like less than a year. He he moved past several of the top guys in about a four week period. And so he's. Right now is the biggest YouTuber. There's another channel, T-Series, who, which is basically uh, movie trailers for Indian movies, which is right neck and neck with him. Nobody else is even close to them. They both have, I believe, about 91 million subscribers, somewhere around there. So they're on this race to 100 million subscribers. Well, in, in the midst of all of this, uh, you know, PewDiePie has now moved over for his streaming, his live streams. He's still doing videos on YouTube. But he's moved his streaming over to D Live, which is a decentralized platform. Uh, you know, I wish I've got on it, you know, before he's moved over there. 
But I, I think this is absolutely huge for the space. And, and why did he do it? Well, because of censorship. Well, th- number one, they paid him. They did pay him, you know, to, to come over there, which is obviously That good. has to be a but, lot of money that D-Live paid, I will say. Oh, man. I mean, th- there's no telling how much he, he makes from not just YouTube, but all his, you know, promotional stuff as well. But, you know, he definitely went over there, I'm sure, because they paid him. However, I... He's gotten absolutely sick of all the censorship on YouTube. They've been demonetizing a bunch of his videos for all kinds of stuff. And are, are you guys familiar with Article 13? Uh, no, what is Article 13? So in Europe, the, the EU basically came out with a new set of laws and regulations regarding uh, um, trademark content, I guess, uh, would be the best way to say that. And basically what Article 13 says, and it got, it, it's already approved, this is done, and I've already seen changes on YouTube in the last month since this has happened, where now not only can the person who takes the content be held responsible, but now YouTube also can be held responsible. And so there's a lot of concerns in Europe, about which is where uh, Pie is from. He's from Sweden, but he's actually moved recently to Japan, I believe, unless that's a big troll on his channel. I'm not sure. But, (laughs) um, you know, in Europe, it's a really big concern because now it's like even memes, you know, even if you meme something. I do know that in regards to memes, memes like they're they're, people are actually making jokes of that by creating memes out of art. So that way they can't get taken down. I was cracking up. Yeah, so it's it's a very troubling thing that's going on, and he's seen this for sure, and I don't think we've seen the end of YouTube making changes. I mean, the, the day the Article 13 went in into, uh, into practice, I had two of my videos that were demonetized from – that were way back. You do, know, not, do they not give you a reason? Videos. Uh, I, I don't know, probably because I used a clip. I didn't go look to see what it was, uh, but it was just a, some clip I used probably of a song or – you know, something like that. So, but the whole point is YouTube is now getting tougher and we're going to be putting a lot more restrictions on the, you know, types of content that you can post in your videos. And I, th- I think he sees all this coming. And so it's a good way for him to relate to his audience and get to his audience and talk to them directly by moving over to D live. So, you know, I think this is going to be something that is going to be really, really good for cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, decentralization, all of that. So, um, you know, he al- I've said this in a tweet. P- PewDiePie alone, seriously, by PewDiePie. himself. Pewdiepie. 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 He's got the Atlanta PewDiePie. PewDiePie. <laughs> it's like the Atlanta PewDiePie. thing. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. That's all I, I, I think of. Lasers, um, pie. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, PewDiePie alone could cause, you know, adoption. In my mind, if he were to talk about crypto on his channel every day or, you know, once a week, whatever, that alone would bring it to so many more people. And a lot of people would argue like, yeah, it's a younger audience. However, the fact is he's been around now for 10 years. So a lot of the people that have watched him religiously over the years are now in their mid 20s. So uh, I do think that it's a good time to be in a decentralization when we have somebody like PewDiePie coming over to, you know, basically our space yeah i completely and utterly agree this is a great great shift and it's a good test to see who's willing to come over because like do you remember when howard stern the biggest radio jockey in in fm radio moved over to xm serious yeah and xm didn't blow up he went to Sirius to be correct xm and Sirius were separate okay that's right very well that's true so no i agree so but it didn't Sirius didn't blow up uh serious uh pretty much uh, I think either I don't know if it was XM that bought Sirius, but either one they just said let's merge. Yeah. They merged. They were just merged. But the point is, how many people I, do you know that have it? I had it when had it. I had it. Well, I, I did. Well, exactly. I did. I did. I did. I had it for a long time though. XM user. I only use it in my car. I don't have a car anymore. <laughs> so see that, and that's that's one of my points. <laughs> so, is a lot of people only got it because they got it for free at first. A few people stuck with it. Dude, NFL radio on Sirius was amazing. It's it's still yeah. good. And, and so I don't you have it. and so you say you have it? Yeah, I do. I, I I'm an early XM user. I've been using early it adopted, since uh, the beginning. I, I wasn't using Sirius. I was using XM uh, before they merged and everything. But you know, I used to do a lot of traveling for a job that I had 15 years ago, uh-huh. and because of that, you know, a lot of times you'd be driving through the country. We didn't have music on our 
you know, iPhones and stuff like that back then. So if you're driving through the country or whatever, you could never find a radio station. So yeah. I got XM, put it in my car, and then that solved all my problems. So, and I was able but, to listen. And I listen to sports talk radio almost, you know, that's almost all I listen to, maybe a little bit of news, a little bit of music. So for me, it was absolutely perfect. And I, I think that's a great comparison, though, honestly, because you're right. I don't think I don't think PewDiePie right now today is going to make DLive absolutely huge overnight. But we can project in the future, and, and the same way we look back at satellite radio and say, man, look, Howard Stern was the first one to move over, and now look, it's really big. You know, almost all new cars come with it already installed. You have to, of course, after your nine-day trial or whatever, either pay for it or not. But a lot of people listen to XM, and, and I think that that hopefully is the way that decentralized platforms are going to be going in the future as well. So, you yeah. know, we, we all want adoption overnight. We want everyone to be using crypto fact is is not ready to be used by everyone right now but we want it to happen really quick but you know if it takes 10 or 15 years for it really to get absolutely mainstream i mean would that be the worst thing probably not i don't think it'll take that long i think five years is probably about where we're headed just because of the pace of technology yeah so i do have to mention that now i'm a gamer i know who he is uh i've been around what he's done for years and yes he's one of the first true millionaires to make money off of being a content creator he, he kind of paved the way and other people deserve mention like angry video game nerd and all these other guys that played video games on youtube for the first time but he was a part in the last two years of an anti-semitic comment and two racist comments and he has been ridiculed about being anti-Semitic. Now, I'm not going to give you my opinion on that. I just want to make that clear that uh, he has been ridiculed, but he, he has apologized. Uh, and now he does do videos on YouTube, BitBoy, and he does them with his wife. There's actually videos that he does now with his wife. And he's trying to clean up his act. Okay, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he there was a lot of things. I stopped watching him for things he did. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to be clear that... Some people have no idea that he, yeah, he's been ridiculed many times for anti-Semitic remarks and racist remarks. But uh, he's always apologized. But anyway, uh, I don't know what you guys think of that. Um, when uh, that could be a reason why he went to D-Live. <laughs> so, Ben, when you said well, this, the freedom of censorship, I'm, and I'm not pointing any fingers on him. He, I have said, yes, he apologized, and he's kind of cleaning up his... Yeah. Uh, being more mature is really the, the way to put it. Yeah. Um, well, he, he one, one thing he does that's very interesting now, a lot of his videos, he does commentary and reactions to TikTok videos. So I've been watching him a lot recently wait, over the repeat, last couple wait, months. Repeat what you just said? He does commentary on TikTok videos. I didn't know he did that. Interesting. Yeah, on he, YouTube? He puts comp no, TikTok. Yes. He, TikTok. No, no, but he, he puts, puts com them on compilation oh. videos together from TikTok yeah. and puts them on YouTube and then does reaction videos. But it's very it's very interesting because I actually had that same idea because I TikTok is so addicting. It, it, well, like you start watching it and there's just so much stuff on there that's so crazy. I, my sister makes fun of me. She, she's uh, 18 years old and so she's on it. And she she makes fun of me because I send her like the weirdest TikTok videos I can find. And the way the algorithm works is if you watch pictures of like weird people, like, I don't know, people with no teeth or, you know, pe just people do, doing outrageous stuff looking insane. And you're like, why are you on this app doing this? You're making yourself look terrible. And the way the algorithm works, if you watch some of those videos, all of a sudden it starts showing up in your timeline more. And so since I've sent her all these videos, she's like, oh, you've ruined my TikTok. Now all I get is weird people, you know. So, oh, wow. Well, I'm glad you yeah. mentioned that because one of our topics is how recently TikTok was banned in India. They yep. blocked it completely. And they had a surge of 80, like 3 million people <laughs> joined TikTok in yeah. India. Um, but they banned it because there were some people that killed themselves on it. Um, there, oh, was, wow. there was some really negative things, Ben. And um, But the biggest negative thing that I've noticed is TikTok. Uh, so the Russian government owns it. <laughs> um, they will not. This is not really a conspiracy thing. It's just this is this is what's this is what I've been told in terms of uh, from the research and what, and what I read about TikTok is Russia. It's, it's, it's a Russian application. Does the government actually own it? They haven't said anything. But for a fact that they have they have been uh, fined and found to have been taking data from children. 
mm. uh, and, and doing a lot of stuff with the children who are using the app. So um, a lot of people are – I personally would not be using TikTok. I don't use TikTok. Well, I don't want to use TikTok, I'm on until, TikTok. I get, until I get confirmation on that Russian thing. Here's the problem with, with TikTok for me is that it's sad because Vine was technically like this more – in a lot of ways, which is funny of me saying a more mature TikTok, mm-hmm. which is crazy to say that as a Viner because yeah. I thought Vine had – but there was more maturity in Vine because people took it a little bit more seriously. I've seen some really, really cool things on TikTok and some really far-end like, like – Bad ooh. things, yeah. Whoa. Um, so it's right now, though, unbelievably, it's just exploding. Um, it's explode. You can't deny the explosion. Oh, that part is true. Yeah, it's it's taken over the world. Um, I'm going to wait until I until it reaches my generation. So what uh, I- and we'll and we'll even then we'll see because I still don't do a lot of things that a lot of my other friends do because I know who's monitoring what at that time. And this is what I'm saying. I bet you Twitter's like, oh, man, we really shouldn't have canceled Vine. Oh, well. <laughs> like hey, every everybody's upset. I mean, I was so mad. Vine. I am still mad. Vine was great. Yeah. Well, here's my warning to everybody: don't use it. <laughs> Just don't use it <laughs> until you figure out what the hell is going on with Russia. Uh, and but for sure, they are definitely mining your data. Um, but anyways, moving on to the next story, guys. Uh, Fortnite. They have a World Cup online open, and they banned 1,200 accounts. 200 of with, uh, 200 of which had uh prize money that they had to be that had to be forfeited so Uh. they banned all these people for cheating but but here's the thing this is what i found out um in regards to what they consider cheating uh one using cheating software which i don't really know what like i'll get with you andy in a moment to to figure out what what kind of things a cheating software could do to help benefit you um i honestly don't know because you don't know what the other person's doing at any given moment and like each game is like like really fast. I don't know how what what it could possibly do, but anyways, the other thing that they're doing is sharing accounts, and they were using software to allow them to play in multiple regions. So, my question for you, Andy, is one: mm. How could the software help these people cheat? I mean, that's what modding is, you know. Like, uh, but what happens? I don't know. I I'll be honest. I don't know too much about what's happening here, but it looks like. Uh, there were just multiple accounts that were working in unison. Yes. And and just you know making sure that they were working together to collusion. Yeah, ah, like one person to win. I think I think look, don't hold me wrong because I just kind of learned no, about no, this. No, that's fine. Uh, I think that was what happened. Is that you know they were controlling the game sort of. Okay. Uh, and who would win? Um, but it, that's what uh, it says. Uh, eight accounts originally received bans for teaming or making unofficial alliances with their opponents. Only one had to give up the prizes. Uh, I don't know. So, uh, okay. Listen, there's software for like when I played Diablo two back in the day, Mm -hmm. a software was written that allowed me to get the highest gear. Like I was able to like use the software that implant implanted it into the game and gave me all the best gear. Oh, it's like an old school game genie. Uh, Well, kinda. I mean. Mm. But I don't know if in this case that's what happened. Uh, not necessarily. But I was kind of curious on what, how, how can you cheat in a game like this? What are, What are the benefits of cheating in a game like this, and what ways could you cheat? Well, like this? listen, battle royale is about one person winning, and if there's all kinds of ways of whether someone's shooting at you and you're able to kind of mess with your internet connection to screw people over by doing some kind of glitch, that's cheating mm-hmm. too. So these uh, games is about you know it's first person shooter, a third person shooter actually, uh, and it's about you know how how can we help this one person win and we could all split the pot or something, you know? It's if there's money involved, yeah. there's ways to cheat. And we talked to somebody recently at CIS who they're building something in regards. They're building a blockchain game, but they want uh, cheaters are going to be forked off, which I thought was a very interesting. Uh, uh, way uh, a very interesting thing to do, and also instead of banning them, forking cheaters. Well, instead of saying you will never be able to play this game again, you will be able to play this game, but in the forked version by yourself because yeah. you're the only one in it. <laughs> yeah. Sucker. So uh, I mean, listen, there's always going to be a way to kind of cheat a competitive game. This isn't the only game where people have been banned. I mean, there's people have been banned in Call of Duty events. People banned in all kinds of ways. There's just it's like hacking. But one of, one of the thing that I that I am upset about is the sharing accounts one. That's one of the big arguments that we have here with uh with blockchain gaming is that people sometimes if they want to make money on their account from all the stuff that they collected, they they sell their account and that's essentially like sharing your account. And that's one way to get banned as well. I want to know what um 
twelve hundred seems like a lot. I'm like, how 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 many people played this open? That's a whole lot. So I just feel there are certain things that they that they were called out on, which which under normal circumstances it shouldn't have happened. Especially if you have ownership of your own stuff, you should be able to do whatever it is you want with it. Obviously, there are rules within the tournament that you have to follow. So, but if one of those rules is you can't share an account or I can't get equipment from somebody, that's BS. I should be able to to trade and and keep whatever I want. Well, yeah, it it it, it sounds like that you know the the main thing here it was collusion, and it also sounds like people were using VPNs to get in multiple times from different areas. You know, like I don't know. It, if they've got different regions and you're able to play in, yeah, in every single region. But it, it's really funny you guys bring this up because, you know, I know, Daniel, I know you play poker. And, you know, collusion is a very popular thing to talk about in poker because, you know, if you're playing at a poker table with three friends and you don't know that they're friends, they could be just trying to take your money. You know, yeah. kind of like a pool shark. You know, you come in there, you look like you're terrible, and then you're really good and you take everybody's money. It's kind of like that in poker too sometimes. And so recently I've been playing uh, TronBet. So TronBet is a dApp on the Tron network and they they have, you know, different little gambling games or whatever, but they're coming out with a uh, poker. Over the last couple of days, they actually released the alpha version. It's not even the beta version, it was the alpha version and it they only ran it for I think about 4 or 5 days, which I was really disappointed with because I was absolutely Killing it. I was making it exactly what I thought was going to happen. You just got a bunch of people in Tron that don't really know how to play poker go in there to play poker because they like to gamble. Oh, man. And I gotta go man, it's <laughs> blockchain poker, decentralized poker is the future 100%. Like it was so great to make a bunch of money and just be able to, it's just my money. Like I have it. I didn't have to hit withdraw, I didn't have to talk to customer service, whatever. But what, a couple of the things that they, they took down the alpha version last night. And there's a couple bugs, you know, that they need to fix here or there. But the, one of the main things is that they've realized that they don't have a way right now to keep people from playing multiple accounts. So it made me think, man, I was making all that money and I was probably playing people that were trying to collude against me, uh, you know, by having Could have been. three or four different devices open. Yeah, so that's one of the problems that, with that's a, what that's one of the difficulties about complete decentralization of all things is that, you know what, you can get cheated out pretty easily if several people are are up against you yeah. and nobody can stop them because there are no rules. Well, so. yeah, and, and I'm not sure how they handle that. I know that there's certain rules with, like, Bovada. Uh, one, my friend and I tried to play Bovada at well, the Bovada, same time. Bovada is random because you don't know who you are. It's all, it, That is anonymous. So unless you yeah. know exactly which table you're at and who and which number the person is at, and if you're lucky enough to be put in that that same table with that person, because in uh in other in a lot of different um poker applications, you can choose which table you want to sit at, who you're playing with, how many people you're playing with, so on and so forth. Whereas Bavada, it's completely randomized, so you have no choice. You're just sitting wherever you're sitting. Well, yeah. Well, the, the long and short is we we tried to log in to Bavada from the same IP address, and it wouldn't let us. You know, so. Um, you know, some of these more centralized poker platforms already have, you know, different ways to kind of prevent people from using multiple devices or multiple accounts and things like that. But, you know, blockchain poker, that's definitely going to be something that, you know, we're going to have to figure out a way around. But, you know, using it over the last couple of days, it was just phenomenal. I thought, you know, it's very interesting. We're talking about collusion in Fortnite and that, you know, is already something that, you know, they're having to deal with and are hopefully going to be able to fix. Nice. nice. Well, I mean, I'm going to just, uh, and Ben, thanks for joining us on Block News, but I have one thing to tell everyone is that I was like over the weekend, uh, a friend of mine's like, hey, are you playing Fortnite? I said, no. He's like, well, it says you're playing Fortnite in Russia right now. Oh my God. <laughs> so I said, I said, what? So I, I signed on to my Epic account, which is what you have to do to get on your Fortnite. Mm -hmm. And I noticed I couldn't sign in. So I did the password recovery. I got in. And, dude, they even did, like, a two-factor on their end. I had to, like, cancel a two-factor. Um, so I get in the game, and I notice there's all these Russian people on my friends list, and I notice that he leveled me up, he or she leveled me up. I haven't <laughs> played since le season six, and here he is, like, like season, this is season, uh, I think it's season eight right now or nine, and uh, he's, uh, like, level 23. What if he's just laundering levels through so, you? 
I don't know. So I saw one of them was online, and I started writing them in and using Google Translate for Russian. For Russian. But that didn't mean that they were actually in Russian. They could have been using a VPN. It says Russian. I mean, who knows? Anyway, <laughs> they were talking back to me in Russian. I was able to figure out what they said. And the person I wrote to said like, "Hello, Bob or Bill, I, whatever the name was." It said hello. So they didn't know they. They probably thought this person that was their account. And they were just friends. Oh, wow. Anyway, long story short, I got my Fortnite account back. I've never been <laughs> hacked, but I got my Fortnite. Did you level up? Yeah, dude. Yeah. This guy, le- this guy, this girl leveled me up. Thank you. I, isn't it free, okay. your version that you're playing? Well, Fortnite is free. Fortnite so, Battle yeah. Royale. Why free. would he need your account? That makes uh, no sense. Because, you see, maybe I have a lot of skins. I don't know. Nice. Uh, from when I used to play. but uh, <laughs> he's trying to hit, He's trying to enter the open. I think it's just crazy. Awesome. Um, I never get hacked, so I was kind of excited. But uh, <laughs> I, guess, I guess this isn't a good thing, but I squared it off. We're all good. No more hackage on my Fortnite. No you more got, Russian account. You got account. it down with Russia. You said just, yeah. just keep it a TikTok, guys. God, they're all over the place. TikToking it <laughs> and hacking my uh, Fortnite. Anyway, uh, Ben, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Quick shout out. Uh, tell us where we can find you and also about your podcast. Yeah, so my podcast is Beards and Bitcoins with my co-host Jay Change. You guys can find that on Twitter at Beards Bitcoins. Also, we just launched a YouTube channel, so Beards and Bitcoins on YouTube. Uh, you can find me personally on at BitBoy underscore Hodel on Twitter and Instagram, and BitBoy Crypto on YouTube. All right, cool. And our in-depth interview. Uh, BitBoy, you probably uh, heard of the movie Banking on Bitcoin, right? Yep. Yeah, of course. So actually, we have Christopher Canucciari. I think that's how you say it. Uh, he's the director, producer, uh, shooter of Banking on Bitcoin, the documentary on Netflix. And of course, he's shooting a new or he's working on a new project called The Search for Satoshi. But we really talk about some entertainment centric stuff here. So I'm going to throw to uh, Christopher Canucciari. Enjoy. Yeah, I've been uh, in the entertainment industry. Uh, I went to film school at Ithaca College. Um, I worked in L.A. for a short time, uh, sort of interning, figuring out the direction I wanted to be in. Uh, But I ultimately settled on New York City. I just love the melting pot culture here. Um, And I'm just a huge fan of, of, you know, the excitement. Uh, And, uh, you know... um, ultimately it led me to banking on bitcoin because i was i grew up on wall street and i thought that was the coolest movie um uh, so shooting down in wall street for banking on bitcoin was a real thrill um but yeah i've worked in the industry uh you know i i started off uh you know just like anybody who starts off hustling and uh you know getting to know people meet people in the industry I worked for several years um, uh, on some bigger features as a, what's called an electrician, somebody who works in the, the camera and the lighting were, departments. Were you a, I think I saw a gaffer, which I probably a lot of people don't know what a gaffer is, but you were <laughs> yeah. a gaffer, correct? A gaffer, yeah. I mean, we, yeah. There's like certainly jargon in the film industry, just like in the crypto industry. I just want to uh, gaffer. I just want to say that gaffers don't get enough respect because they're very, very <laughs> important, and I think people they should are. know that. Could you can you uh, describe what a gaffer is real quick? So a gaffer is in charge of all the lighting that happens on, on the set. And they work side by side with the, the cinematographer. Um, the difference between uh, the DP and the cinematographer usually is that the DP gets a lot more credit. Um, yeah. Because yeah. They, they eye the film. They lens the film. But they're you know just as important are, are gaffers. Uh, I, I worked for a, a really famous, I guess you can call him famous gaffer in New York for many years, uh, Bill O'Leary, who... Um, He's done. If you look him up, he's done like every Coen Brothers film. And oh just wow! Loads of great films, and he used to uh, say, you know, uh, you'd be like that. That cinematographer lit that film beautifully, and he'd retort, you know, the gaffer lit that film. That, yes. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I think that's if you're in the industry, you know. But if you're not, you probably you know that that name isn't something people are used to. Yeah, if you don't say it till the end of the credits. Basically, you don't see any of these words, but uh, <laughs> yes. But anyway, so basically, you you came for, you you were building yourself up in that that side of the industry, right? So yeah, yeah. I I have I have a background in both in like the technical uh, industry side and also a little bit in the journalism side. I worked as a photojournalist uh, for a while with like the AP and Reuters and um, the Washington Post, and so I, I definitely had a foot in 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 fiction and in nonfiction um, in report reporting 
so that's they're they're they've always been dual interests. Um, so I think you know maturing in my career, I've sort of you know siphoned myself into this this uh, nonfiction world, which I seem to really enjoy, but keeping it very visual and entertaining, um, and, and you know in a way to touch actual people instead of just be uh, straight information. So th- that leads us to. Did you were you into cryptocurrency? I know you said you're into like Wall Street and stuff. Was and technology that, as well. What what got you? Let Let's talk about how did you get to the idea to like okay, I'm gonna make a documentary about Bitcoin. Uh, and this was in a time where I don't think it was very popular. Like I mean, I'm not gonna even say it's popular now. Really, it's well more known now. But how did you get to like what was that whole experience like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, like many good ideas or bad ideas, it, it happened in a bar. Uh, you know, uh, so it always we, happens in a bar. <laughs> on a napkin in a bar. Let's do that. Just like in the exactly. movies. Just like uh, in the movies. I, I guess I should rewind it a little bit. Um, in 2009, I was um, in uh, my wife and I, uh, before we had our, our first child, we wanted to go, you know, our dream was to go on safari in Africa. And we did that. And it, it actually lined up with um, a small documentary I could produce in Kenya. So it kind of, you know, didn't offset it, but it was it was a good, uh, good mix. And while in Kenya, um, they had just had sort of a mini civil war that a lot of people don't really know about it uh, in 2008. And the banks failed. Everything failed uh, in Kenya. And the people there, this is before M-Pesa, which a lot of people know about in the crypto world now. Uh, but before M-Pesa, people were just trading phone credits as money. Uh, so huh. if you were in Nairobi and you were sending money to your brother or your mother, uh, you know, in Mombasa or something, uh, what's the best way to do that? You know, do you send a suitcase full of cash, you know, on a van and hope it gets there? Uh, or do you send her, your mom, like a hundred credits on the phone and then she can take that to the grocer and exchange that for bread and, and food and all that. And so it was a very like DIY cryptocurrency. I mean, wow. I guess it's wow. not crypto, but a digital currency really. Uh, and that sort of is what spiked the interest in uh, digital currency in, in sub-Saharan Africa, and that turned into, um, you know, M-Pesa. Uh, and that really spiked my interest in digital currency for the first time, uh, wondering why we couldn't really do this. this. Is You know, I guess there's PayPal here, but it wasn't really person-to-person in the way it was there. Uh, and so I kind of like put that in the back of my mind, and then when Bitcoin started happening, uh, I was on a, f- a film shoot and uh, we got drinks afterwards. And there was a, a, a guy there looking at his uh, Mount Gox uh, app or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and and I was like, what is that colorful chart you have there? And uh, he told me all about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and how much it had been, you know, uh, moving in price and how exciting that was. And then I just caught the bug from there. And I started before I started filming, I, I, I felt like I needed to be more educated. So I went to a lot of uh, meetups here in New York City, which was a really great scene. Uh, there are so many people interested in, in different aspects of cryptocurrency here in New York City. Um, so it was just like a what, really great what, place to meet up. What year about is it? I know you said 2009 you were in Africa, which is actually kind of when it the, the, the first uh, technology you know, came out. Um, this was, yeah, I guess like four years later in 2013. Wow. Okay. Um, so the price was moving then. Uh, it wasn't, I wasn't, you know, (laughs) the first person in, uh, it was, I think, you know, it it had gotten up to like 50 bucks at the time and they're like, you can't believe how much it's gone from, you know, like five cents to $50 in less than a year or whatever it was. It was just like a huge percentage increase. And then that whole year, 2013, it went all the way up to $1,200, which was, you know, yeah. A, yep. A, that was a the, really big moment. One big bubble. Then I hope your friend yeah. who was looking at Mount Gox app uh, wasn't upset when that <laughs> happened. Yeah, I think yeah, he's. He I, I still keep in touch with him. He's a yeah. He actually was an associate producer on Bacon. Oh no, no, no way. Was, cool. Yeah, he was very instrumental in, in the, like getting us you know started and uh, and he's since uh, his name is Phil Galinsky. He's working on uh, some other ideas uh, for you know shout out to Phil. series or yeah, he's great. Uh, so. Um, so okay, so so you're so you did your. That's what I I 
when I watched the movie, I thought it was well done. First of all, I worked in unscripted for a long time, so I appreciate documentary style and scripted style. And of course, I'm a huge documentary fan. And I'm an early adopter, so I come from an old school, and I feel like your documentary really hit home for anyone could watch. And that's what documentaries in general, you could watch a topic you're not interested in, but watch a documentary about it, and it just pulls you in. And I, I felt like I felt like it had both sides for people that didn't know about crypto and for me who really enjoyed crypto. Yeah, and it was also like on a valid uh, on a, a platform that had some sort of validity. I feel like being on Netflix versus somebody just posting posting something on YouTube, YouTube or something yeah. was uh, was huge. Um, so that that alone was great, and and it it was at a time when there are people who had questions. Like I, this, your your documentary was one of the first ones that I had seen as well in terms of trying to help me explain really what this is and like the history and, and the in-depthness of it all so so i just want to just so the development of it so you guys so back to you guys are like okay you know what crypto is you feel good about it and obviously you're a filmmaker so a light went off at a bar right and that's so how did you go from the bar to getting this thing on netflix and just making this thing well yeah i mean it's it's not so easy a documentary <laughs> you hear uh uh, <laughs> people talk about working on a project for 10 or more years. Uh, I, I, I kind of gave myself a goal. Uh, you know, I, I want to do this. I want to do a year study on, on uh, you know, Bitcoin, uh, which turned into two, about two and a half years and then another six months and then, you know, waiting for it to actually premiere on Netflix. So, you know, all said and done, it, it, it's probably three years. But, you know, you start off small. You, um, you want to get like, my thing is... Uh, I'm, I'm just, I want to be the stupidest person in the room. I want to be around yeah. a lot of smart people. Um, I want to, you know, interview as many people as possible. And even if it's only one small thing they can teach me about, I want to be there and, and learn from them. And so, yeah, it was very much an education uh, for the first year or so, I'd say. But being there and, and understanding that um, there were monumental things happening in the physical world, uh, forget just, uh, you know, on computer screens, um, to me that, that told me this was a, a story worth telling. Um, and like I said, I loved the movie wall street, but you can't really film wall street anymore. Everything happens on, uh, you know, behind closed doors or on a computer screen, but Bitcoin was happening in the real world. People were meeting up, discussing big, big ideas, you know, things that were hypothetical could now become real for the first time. And that was very exciting. So whenever something like that came up, like, the Dogecoin party or the opening of um, Satoshi Square, uh, you know, in New York City or like the Bitcoin bowl, which didn't quite make the cut. Uh, we got some great footage there. Oh, cool. uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, just being there and, and deciding, you know, in the end, like we've got, you know, 10 great moments in, in the history, uh, but we only can take three. That's not a bad problem to have. Um, so just being there and filming and filming and filming and then, uh, you know, calling everything down into something. And ultimately, like you said, you know, making it relatable, that was, that was, you know, goal number one. Uh, you can find a lot of technical um, breakdowns of what Bitcoin and crypto is on YouTube, but how are you going to, you know, like, are you preaching to the choir at that point or are you just informing, you know, a few technologists? Um, you know, that's an argument that you could have, but mm -hmm. I knew that to get this thing out there in front of people, you have to tell the story. You can't hide the warts. You know, you have to talk about the good and the bad, uh, or people won't believe you. Uh, and I, I felt like it was working well when people who were very close to crypto would say, this is too simplified. And people who are too far from crypto would say, this is too complicated. I felt like, okay, now okay. we're getting to the middle. That's a good gauge. That's definitely a good gauge on, on on whether or not you're you're on the right track. So I definitely will. That's really that's a really interesting point, actually. I I think um, there's this lore about Satoshi, and I think in the documentary you guys hit it pretty hard about the emailing, the last email, and you know nowadays a lot of people know about that. But I think when the documentary came out, people you'd be surprised even people in crypto had no idea about the history. And on our podcast, Daniel and I love history. That's why we always ask people about how'd you get into crypto because there's a story for everybody, and your story leads you to a documentary, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, so one question, you know, about making it, it sounds like from what I'm hearing now is that you probably shot so much other things we didn't see, 
But what did what was your enjoyment? Can you give us a few names of people that you met, that you interviewed, that are in the movie that maybe really stood out to you? Yikes! That's a that's a tough question. Or um, or just yeah, I mean, general I think enjoyment. Made the movie, yeah, everybody who made the movie brought great enjoyment to me. Um, you know, good, bad, uh, smart, it. simple. <laughs> you know, it it it's so great to because Bitcoin is such a new or like. I don't know if I should just say Bitcoin, but cryptocurrency is such a new vessel, even though it's been around 10 years. It's such a new thing. We can kind of fill it with whatever we like. Right. So uh, if you're a filmmaker, you can make a film about it. If you're in finance, you can make it a finance thing. If you're, uh, you know, trying to give voice to people who don't have voices, you can use uh, crypto for that. You know, there's just so much uh, so much possibility in cryptocurrency because it is new and it does empower people. Who didn't, you know, just like how YouTube has empowered people, podcasting has empowered people. Um, you know, this is just one further arm in uh, the the empowerment of the individual. Uh, so, but to answer your question, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there there's there are certainly characters in the film. Uh, you know, Nick Spanos is a, a larger than life character who could have made his own movie. Uh, wow. <laughs> we had so much footage of him. Uh, just just that spirit of you know, I'm going to take this risk and open this Bitcoin center and try to, you know, rub my nose at Wall Street and the Fed by opening this, uh, you know, uh, trading floor for a cryptocurrency, which is a very, at the time, was a very gray matter subject. So, so I guess maybe it was, and I want to ask you this, do you feel like because not a lot of people knew about it, it was easier for you at this, at this time in the crypto era to get people to really want to do the documentary and be open and talk about it. I, I feel like this was a time where not enough people were talking about it in a mainstream level. So was it easy for you to get people on the, on the, on board? Yeah. Uh, yes and no. Um, a lot of people wanted any kind of publicity because they wanted to sell something or spread their idea. Um, and that was really great. You know, like I said, you can't film wall street for that reason now. Um, but you could film cryptocurrency because people wanted to meet and discuss ideas and promote their ideas. Um, there were people who did not want to talk for sure. Um, and they took a lot of, uh, you know, it took a lot of hard work to get them. I wanted to talk about the Winklevoss brothers. Um, and they were very camera shy. We'll, we'll, I would say uh, just because they've, you know, had some, missteps in the past with other technologies sure. and they're and also they're also very podcast shy as um, well i reached out <laughs> to them by the way just short story i i emailed them i found their like pr department or something mm -hmm. I, i got an email back they emailed me back right away almost and they're like i think they said not at this time and i told <laughs> daniel they didn't say no <laughs> he's gonna ask yeah. again so anyway i i can you know i'm fascinated with them so i could see where you're kind of like oh man you know i could see where they have to be really careful what they say. I'm really interested sure. in the fact that you said that, that people were trying to sell something. Cause that's another issue that we're, that we have as well on this podcast. Cause we, we, we're not trying, we're, we are um, essentially walking in your footsteps as, in terms of we're trying to educate. We're trying to learn stuff as well. This is the whole, mm -hmm. that's why we started this podcast. We wanted to learn about individual projects and, and, you know, getting people to come on here and talk about something has been kind of difficult in terms of like, they're trying to sell something and you just feel really mm -hmm. weird about it. So what, um, at the time, what were some things that are, uh, has anything failed that, that somebody was trying to push at the time of doing the documentary? <laughs> you don't have to say names, I guess. You could just yeah, say. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure a lot, you know, because it was such a fertile ground at that, that point, right. Where you could just really plant an idea and it, it would grow to a certain extent. Now would it grow as big as something that, um, you know, Eric Voorhees was doing, or even uh, Barry Silbert, probably not, you know, there were, there are a few exceptions to that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there was, there, the expectations were, you know, to the moon, right? Yeah. And it, it didn't, it doesn't always pan out that way for everyone. But people who worked really hard, you know, ended up in a pretty good place, maybe not as big as a Barry Silbert, but in a pretty good place. Uh, people who stuck with it, Um, you know, the, the, the things that, that were the, the failure to me were the loss of support of, of a lot of the core members, uh, by the community. I felt really disappointed in the community by that. And I, first and foremost, for me, I feel like the community 
their reaction to Gavin Andreessen uh, was was rather shocking. Um, I felt like this is a you know an individual who did so much for the community, and yeah, like maybe got a little bit bigger than they thought they would. Uh, but the way the community sort of trolled people like that, I was I was kind of surprised by. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, that's actually an issue that's grown. I think the community is kind of, and uh, we're on what's called the crypto Twitter. There's literally a whole community on there that is like kind of centralized to there. And these people get big on there and like just people attack each other. And we're not about that. And I think that's also a part of the crypto community that's kind of saddened us as well. And we're trying to change that. And that's what we we are pushing for. So. I could see, you know, I can mention names like Roger Veer, Veer, who in the community and me personally was well respected because he did a lot for the early days of crypto. But a lot of people give him slack or don't appreciate what he's done with Bitcoin Cash. But it's kind of like what's happened to this industry. It's changed a lot since even when you were shooting it. I feel like the around the time you were shooting it was a really great time to like you know really was, learn and get in touch with a lot of people and you were talking to a lot big of people pe- big people that today are well known just by name drops back then in the documentary they might not most people didn't but um so i do appreciate that and uh i feel like so was it a very uh, just a quick question about the like was it just like a camera two cameras you were you shooting it you said you were shooting this or no yeah uh i mean unfortunately I was very much unfunded for most of it um, because, you know, it's, it was a very hard idea to get people to, to understand. Um, I mean, I was, I was so enthusiastic. If you, if you were in a room with me for more than five minutes, I would get you to understand it and be excited about it. But, you know, to get an institutional investor involved, um, that was difficult. So yes, it it was mostly, (laughs) uh, I'm, I'm laughing just thinking about it. Yeah. It was mostly me, a backpack and a tripod going on the subway, uh, and like miking up people. And I had a whole, I still have it like this, like ready to go kit, you know, basically I can go and film, um, you know, somebody in their office, uh, at the drop of, I'm thinking of, um, I remember at the end of the film, I had, um, Blythe Mathers in the film, uh, and she took a while to get on camera and I finally got her and I showed up at her swanky office <laughs> and uh, she looked at me like, where is everybody? Uh, she wasn't, I think she's used to like a Bloomberg crew coming in and yeah. you know, like setting something up and, and, you know, it was a fine interview. Uh, but yeah, it was a lot of uh, one man banding as it's called. But, uh, I, I, but I, that, that allowed me the flexibility to, to yeah. shoot at a moment's notice uh, not wait for you know availability of crews or any of that and having a, a tight system of doing it just gave me like the most powerful um, you know ability to really capture the moment as it was happening yeah uh, I think it's important for the audience to kind of see that and I mean it in a more of a passional sense because first of all you're right back then getting funding for something like that even today getting funding we've been a part of some possible some pr- possible project we for were the media but then you know funding. the money, the funding wasn't there. But uh, with documentary and unscripted filmmaking, if you can get someone, you could do like a nice sit-down interview and make sure you get all the cutaways and B-roll. You could do it by yourself. I know you can, and you you've proven that. Um, and I don't think like a lot of normal people when they see documentaries, there's some documentaries that are shot by literally one person, and they are made well. So I apl- I applaud you, and I appreciate. Well, I should, I should definitely shout out to, to the many people who have uh, no, it was just helped you. along the it way. It was just you. I don't. Exactly. I didn't mean to single you out. Not just me. <laughs> <laughs> single. I just Sorry. meant like as a filmmaker. I know the passion you you probably had because you didn't have the funding you wish you had. Yeah, well, please do yeah. sh- shout out who. Yeah, you, uh, shout out. I, I appreciate out. everyone. I know you didn't do everything, <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I mean, I'd say like ninety percent or more that made it to the film. It was just me, and that's not because I, I wanted to work alone and take the credit. It was just because of time and money. Um, but there, there are certainly like a great number of people. If you just look at the credits, like everybody there was a superstar. And you know, in the end of the day, we you know we didn't really make much money off of the film. Uh, or if any, uh, I was so, shocked you know, that like, you. I was just, shocked whether you profited off of this. <laughs> like, that no, was number one shot. Yeah, yeah. No, there was no money made uh, other than like you know some post production um, people who were just you know you, you have to pay them because yes. they they work for months and months and months. 
um yeah but like i didn't get paid for doing the film and my, my payment is just you know making an awesome film uh which i'm happy to to make that exchange uh but you know like people who gave their time i'm in, you know indebted to forever you know uh because they're they're super awesome yeah cool um i do have a question because you do have something new that you're working on and i want to know if you could talk about a little bit of it it's the search for satoshi right mm-hmm. yeah we're working on that right now actually um we're, we're sort of pitching it and uh we've started shooting um and we're, we're trying to make sure we find a good home for it so that we can uh sort of elevate the quality of this one uh a little bit more than the previous film and is it is it episodic docu-series or is it a another documentary documentary long form so so the plan is to do a four-part series uh cool. that could change so i don't want to like make any promises of course. but where we've built out a sort of deck as it's called um based on a, a four-part series idea and, and so I feel like you, you're a very unique guest for us because you have no attachment to a project. You don't have to be PC necessarily for a lot of things. So one of the things that I want, want, um, would love to hear from you because you've been in the community for a very long time. You've, you've spoken to so many people uh, throughout your, your journey um, on both documentaries and, and probably searching for Satoshi and, and banking on Bitcoin. I want to know, what do you want to tell the public? What do you feel the public needs to know? Either it could be about somebody specific or it could be about a project or, or, or a certain piece of technology. What should we be looking out for and keeping an eye on, um, in your opinion? I mean, right now I'm focused on the idea of the Satoshi character. Um, that's really interests me. I'm, I, I like that you mentioned that you guys are interested in uh, you know history and preserving history. Definitely. And I feel like, we're at a sort of fork in the road where we can uh, go with a historical um, path of where cryptocurrency came from and where it might go, uh, or a mythological one uh, where anybody can claim to be Satoshi uh, and use that to you know, mold things, mold people's ideas, or turn people off to cryptocurrency. Um, so I very much I'm interested in the story of what kind of character uh, uh, could create something like this uh, and for what motivation and also, um, you know, why, why be anonymous? Why never take credit for something uh, if you have, if you are still alive? My opinion is that it's a team for sure. And that it's a, either it's like four people or a group of people that, uh, created this system and stayed anonymous to prove its existence and its, you know, the whole point is to be, you know, rid of the third party and to be anonymous. So I think that the whole point was to prove that they could create this and not a single unit runs it, you know, and I, I still believe in that. But I also have a theory that everyone talks about how it was created, but what if there's something else that's going to happen along the line that Satoshi's waiting to drop? that I have no idea about. So I also think that there, I have, I have this wish in theory that there's something else or some mechanism he's going to, or he, she, them is going to do. So I, I don't want to forget there might be something later down the line we don't know about. So that's, that's mine. I don't know if Daniel agrees with me, but. No, I, listen, we're. We don't know. <laughs> I was, we went to uh, the CIS conference um, a couple, last week, uh, or we're dating the day today, but uh, but basically we went to this conference and we kind of discussed how this is going to be different. Like in the future, we're not going to have a blockchain conference. We're not going to have a Bitcoin conference. We're going to just have regular conferences and this technology is just going to kind of fold in with everything else. So uh, at least that's my prediction. But again, I could be wrong. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it's fun to take, to take a look at and, and keep an eye on. I guess what's your theory behind uh, <laughs> Satoshi Nakamoto? I think you'll have to wait and, oh, and find man. out. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to sidewise, sidewind you. Uh, I, but I, I am, yeah, I think it's, it's probably the greatest mystery of the 21st century. Um, Absolutely. Or maybe even further back uh, to have a person who could wield so much power and is probably worth so much money uh, remain anonymous in this era of technology uh, you know, where we can find out everything about everyone, you know, how do they do it? Like, even if we never know who did it, like, how, how do they do it? How have they stayed so anonymous? How can this, this question stump, like, style metric analysts and, uh, you know, sleuths and, and journalists for so long? Um, that, that in itself is fascinating. And also, I'm just curious to know, like, 
what's the better model for cryptocurrency? Is it a leaderless model, perhaps? Uh, is it is it more like Ethereum, where yeah, you could say that Vitalik isn't the leader, but he kind of is. Uh, you know, he he does wield uh, power in the community and and the direction of Ethereum. Um, so yeah, we definitely want to like follow a sort of parallel uh, track of Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, we've seen the scaling debate and how that left a lot of carnage and and set crypto back. I think, in my opinion, uh, back quite a bit. Uh, because there wasn't a leader, there wasn't a way to get a consensus. Uh, you know, even if the leader doesn't make the final decision, they can at least, you know, uh, offer, you know, a, an ideal path. Um, so it's it's interesting that uh, it was orphaned by its father. Um, so so why is that? Is that because Satoshi uh, just doesn't want to ever look at their uh, creation again, or wants to do it behind? A cloak or is it because they're no longer with us there we go that's what i'm thinking you think it's <laughs> they died yep. it could be that could be yep um i think you're right i mean i think that's when when i first i i found it in like 2012 and one of the first things i learned about on reddit was that no one knew who the creator was and i was fascinated by that and i started reading the original email chain that was public and i just got sucked into it um and I just love the mystery. Who doesn't love a mystery? It's why we go watch movies and television shows. There's mystery in them, you know, and some of them, obviously. And the, the thing with cryptocurrency in general is you can't underestimate the human stories around it. You know, you could say it's it's a cold technology and you bring to it whatever you want, but it there's a community, there's a very strong community that's kept it alive. There are a lot of cypherpunk ideas that died on the vine because there wasn't a community supporting them. So it, it is extremely, extremely important that uh, people have thoughts and beliefs and interests that, uh, such as, you know, wanting to find out who Satoshi Nakamoto is, that's a huge driver in the interest of Bitcoin. So you can't say on one hand, you know, we should never know who Satoshi is. Uh, and then on the other hand, accept, you know, all the benefits that people's interest in finding Satoshi have given to cryptocurrency. Um, you know, that you're going to get opinions on that, you know, uh, whether it be should you dock somebody on one side and then on the other journalistic side, you know, if the person is of um, historical significance, you know, it's it's a different situation than a private citizen. Um, you know, where is the middle of that? You know, and that's something we really want to investigate as well. Well, I just want to say thank you for that. And just my pitch to you as someone in the industry who, you know, uh, loves loves movies, t television shows. If you get enough funding to somehow like mock interview Scooby Doo uh, and any other like mystery mi mystery solving team from our past, please do so. That'd be hysterical to me, just for fun. Well, so so wait wait. What's the 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 question is to <laughs> please include find Scooby somebody in who's Shaggy and Scooby Doo <laughs> and any, anybody else along those lines to uh, to interview for this for this documentary just for my enjoyment personal enjoyment okay okay yeah I mean we're definitely uh, it, the um, there are, it, I've been approached by a lot of people uh, after banking on Bitcoin uh, of people who want to volunteer to be on like a, a, the sort of Satoshi squad people who very much want to discover who Satoshi is so we're we're creating a sort of war room where uh, you know they can take their talents and and work together to you know uh, crack the case as it were. Oh man, that uh, so, awesome! So there is that there is a little cool. bit of that, and maybe not. A, there's no Scooby snacks as far as I know. <laughs> Damn. Uh, but but everything else, uh, you know. Well, well, Chris, the sleuthing is there. Uh, is there any social media you want to share where they can find you or a website? Uh, and also, I want to thank you personally for taking the time. I know you have a busy day, and I'm glad we got that. We, I'm actually really glad we got it in uh, when we did. So, uh, floor is yours, man. I, I really don't have anything to promote. I'm not super into social media, uh, but um, I, I like him. I like him already. I like, I like Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love. Uh, I love. I, I prefer to read other people's social media. I think it's really interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess to promote, I have a film coming out with Wired uh, in May about artificial intelligence that uh, we spent about six months on recently. It's called um, uh, Machine Learning in the uh, the Age of AI. Um, it's super cool. It's it's forty minutes. It's similar in a lot of in the approach, at least, to banking on Bitcoin, where I, 
I, I sought out real people using uh, artificial intelligence in real life. Um, you know, where is it right now? And as opposed to is, you know, like it's not all about flying cars um, and the singularity, but uh, that'll be on Wired. Uh, I think it'll be on their YouTube page as well as um, their, you know, their Roku streaming and Apple TV streaming. Well, so please check that out. We're going to make sure to make sure to tweet that out too. Absolutely. For you. Definitely. Oh, thanks. And uh, again, thanks so much. Uh, good luck with uh, everything else you're doing there. I know how crazy it gets delivering stuff to people in uh, entertainment industry. So yeah, good luck, and please keep in touch. You're, yeah, uh, you're definitely. Really cool. Chris, Got a great please. story. Let's keep the the door open so we could catch up with you when things get closer to being released for the documentary. And sure thing. Anything else we could do to help? Okay. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks, Chris. Have a good one. Well, that was entertaining. Yeah, he was a really good interview, and it's and it was fun because he had nothing to to shill. Like, really, it, that's what I really yeah, liked it was just about, about that. his experience. Shooting. And he knows he's met so many people. He's definitely uh, totally, you know, like one of us, where he's very into crypto. He knows his stuff. He's following the news. Uh, he's very up to date. And obviously, I'm excited to to see more about uh, or hear more about his new show, The Search for Satoshi, which is hopefully he comes back on. Yeah, because I'd love to get some insight and we'd like to just uh, one of these days i'd like to sit down and watch it with him either like online or something but i want to hear the behind the scenes stuff on uh, either banking for bitcoin or satoshi or the, for satoshi. i want to hear extras i want to hear what what didn't happen yeah we'll do a i'm DVD sure the extras they might have a, a blu-ray right we gotta yeah. hit them up we gotta hit them up uh, i had a great time though and of course i want to thank bitboy uh for coming in on block news Giving you, uh, we're doing a little tryout, uh, giving you a little mix of the, the current news. I thought this was a great intro into that kind of like mesh yeah. that I think is going to work well and we're going to try it for a while. Let us know how you feel. Yeah. Where can they find this on Twitter and Instagram? Sir? It's Coinboys Podcast, same handle for both. And of course, uh, you can email us at thecoinboys at thecoinboys.com. Sweet. And where's the website? thecoinboys.com we try not to complicate things well yeah it's not complicated at all Uh, but I want to thank again Christopher for coming on and of course BitBoy for coming on thanks guys Uh, we'll see you guys next week I'm Andy I'm Daniel goodbye peace peace